What's going on, grappling fans? Look, we'll first time to see each other prepared mentally in the game. We're still three times. All our matches have been pretty close. Everybody. Welcome to episode number 77 now of the Who's Number One podcast. I'm by myself today. Chase wasn't able to make it, but very exciting show today. We have Lloyd Irvin on the show, but first let's talk about some current event type of stuff. This weekend we have two events again. Fight to Win 145 has Gary Tonin versus Kei Shino and Shanji Hibero versus Gabriel Almeida. Saturday is Third Coast Grappling Kumite number three. This one is Nogi. It has Tyro Otolo, Roberto Jimenez, whole bunch of other people, uh, Wagner Hosha, Nogi event. Rankings are getting updated. Nogi and Gi, male, are up there. I got, I got to get the female done. Tomorrow on the show, ADCC 2021 announcement with Mo Jassim. So he's going to break some breaking news about ADCC 2021. But today on our show, one of the most esteemed coaches in American history, I mean one of the best coaches in the world, calling in from Maryland, Lloyd Irvin. Lloyd, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? All good, man. All good. Uh, how are things uh, for you guys? I, I don't think I've had anybody from your area. How are things? With, uh, how has COVID impacted jujitsu with you guys out there so far? It's impacted us greatly because, like, Maryland, we're still, like, my school is not even open. Maryland just went into phase two about 72 hours ago. And our each the, once the governor opened up all of Maryland to go into phase two, uh, each county is governed by the county exec, and they can make a, a decision to let them go or not go. So our county exec um, is still we're still in phase one. Gyms can't be open, so we're out of business as of we speak. All right. Hopefully that uh, changes sometime soon. I know things are starting to turn around throughout the country, but. Uh... Something I'd like to get into a little bit with you before we get into uh, your time as a coach and as uh, running the team is how did you get started uh, training jiu-jitsu uh, originally, Lloyd? It's funny because one of my frat brothers called me like 2 o'clock in the morning and said, hey, you got to see this video I have. And I was like, whatever, whatever. He actually drove over to my house at 4 a.m. in the morning to give me this video, and we sat down and watched it, and it happened to be UFC 1. And when I saw Hoyt's Grace, like, he knows me, like, you know, my friends and within the fraternity, like, I'm, I love wrestling, horse playing around, and martial arts, so he knew I would be addicted to it. When I saw it, I fell in love with Hoist. I wanted to be a Hoist. I, I became a Gracie groupie, if you want to, if you want to call, it, call it that. But that's how I first got introduced to it. I went to try to find a school. I ended up at uh, Mario Yamazaki. It was called Yamazaki Dalla Academy. Mario Yamazaki and Leo, Leo Dalla. And that's how I got started. You had like the opposite reaction. I mean, I remember when, we, when me and my brother rented the VHS from Blockbuster, we were all into Bruce Lee movies and stuff. We thought we were going to watch a Kung Fu fight. And then we were like, man, what the hell? This guy's just taking everybody down. And right. yeah, it wasn't, wasn't what we were expecting. So where uh, you started training at uh, Yamasaki, uh, you got your back black belt pretty quick, right? Yes, three and a half years. What, do you, what did you do to get it in three and a half years? Did you just go all in and just go crazy about training or what? Honestly, like for me, it's like so I got my blue belt in 30 days and I got my black belt in three and a half years. Actually, my instructor, Leo Dalla, had to leave six, six months into my training. He moved back to Brazil and him and Mario had a falling out. So I wasn't happy with that. So I left when um, Dalla left and I started my own school as a, a blue belt with six months of training. And from there, I, I created a system I call the grappling blueprint where that allowed me to focus on transitions because when i'm watching videos i'm trying to i'm trying to grapple i'm trying to i'm watching it i came from a football background i played college football and i was very good at, at watching film and breaking down film finding keys understanding keys and principles and concepts so when i started watching jujitsu film i started seeing all these different things that people were not teaching like so you go to class they show you whatever amount of moves and then you go drill it and keep going on but never ever were they 
actually showing you and teaching you how to practice and how to train what I was what I would call transitions. So I saw that early, early on. So I, once Dollar left, I didn't have any coach to actually teach me. I basically started learning from videotapes. I started going to seminars. and But what I started focusing on and seeing is that the mass majority of the population I've ever seen, they're not training the transition. So I figured this, if they're not practicing the transition, whether it's a counter to a submission or an attack, that if I can get better than you, if I can get better at you at attacking within the transitions and just focus on that, I don't care how, if you're a black belt, I don't care if you've been training five years longer, I don't care what you've been doing. If I can beat you within that transition and that transition leads to a submission, I can tap. It doesn't mean I'm technically better than you, but it means I'm gonna, I beat you that one time. So I, I, got, I, de- I, dug, I dug deep into mastering the art and science of transitions. And I got these transitions from watching video. Is that something that you think has changed over the years? Or do you think that people still don't put enough emphasis on the transitions? I think, I mean, certain schools that are highly focused on competition, I know for a fact they're doing it now because I can watch how the athletes are attacking the transitions, how they're defending uh, attacks within the transition. So I would say the skill level has come up, especially when I watch people in their first one to two to three years. Now you have a, a, a young crop of people around the five-year mark. And from the what I can see, I mean, other people are practicing it for sure probably. So you got your black belt in three and a half years. Uh I mean, the fact that you had a school already after six months is pretty astonishing. At what point when you started training did you realize, like, hey, I'm going to go this route, make this my career, and and start a school and all that? It probably wasn't until 2000-ish. Because when I first first opened the school, it was 100% – because Dollar left and moved back to Brazil. Yeah, yeah. Had he stayed had he stayed in Maryland, I would have been a, a student. And so then my first school was like a 300-square-foot facility in, in the back of a gym. So it wasn't a lot of rent. It was $500 a month. And so, you know, just a few people covered that rent. I moved to a larger f- facility, and then that's when reality hit. Where, where I, I didn't know anything about business. I didn't know anything about marketing. I didn't know anything about lead generation, generating students for the school. I just wanted to roll. And my, my goal was to be in the UFC. I wanted to be like Hoist Gracie. And as that didn't happen, and like I said, I, I, I was training with nothing but white belts. I'm a blue belt, lonely blue belt, doesn't know, didn't know too much. And all my students were white belts. I had one blue belt who came over, left, I mean, left Yamazaki's Academy and came with me. But I didn't know too much. So... Um, it wasn't until I moved in 1999, 2000-ish, um, I had the school and I had to like either go out of business or get serious. And that's when I dug deep into marketing and direct response marketing and, and gave up my hope of uh, being in the UFC and then dedicated my life to helping other people reach their goals. I want to get into the marketing stuff a little bit more in a minute, but uh, it's interesting that uh, Dalla left pretty early on. Uh, were you for the most part, self-taught at, at that point, or did you have somebody to work with higher up than you or uh, for those years? Well, leading up to the six months, I, it was Dollar. Like I was, yeah. I was his main. I was because remember he was he was a black belt who competes in Brazil at a high level, and all he had was white belt and blue belt students. So I was the best blue belt on the floor at that time, and so I was always getting to roll with him morning, night, morning, night, morning, night, morning, night, and so for the first six months, it was all him, and then once he left, then I was on my own, and like I said, I'm just learning, I'm watching videotape, not video instructional, because they weren't really instructional at the time, I was watching live matches, like Bustamani, Haleto, when they were blue belts and purple belts, they weren't even black belts, um, Started watching videos, started learning, and then I started, you know, people had seminars. I, went, I attended a Fabio Santos seminar, went to a Jacare Fabio Grigel seminar in Atlanta, just trying to get knowledge. I was hungry for knowledge. That's pretty amazing. So, uh, you, uh, like you said, you, you first you, you just opened the gym because you wanted training partners, basically. You wanted, you wanted someone yes. to train with. But then you obviously got very serious about the business side because you developed a very successful school. Everyone knows you as uh, one of the best marketers in the sport. How did you go through that adaptation there to figuring out the business side of things and learning how to market your school and be p- more professional with it? Well, like I said, my first school was 300-square-foot facility in the back of a gym. It was $500 a month. 
Yeah. Then I stayed I stayed there for six months. Then I moved to a, another location, which was $1,250 a month. I was there for two years. And I had a friend who told me about Billy Blank's Tybo. And he was telling me about this company. He's going to be putting like $50 million up in infomercials. And it's going to be the next biggest thing. And he told me you need to focus on getting women's fitness kickboxing. It'll help you um, stabilize your money. So I looked into it. And I, I saw what Billy Banks was doing, and the infomercial hadn't hit yet. So he's a black guy. I'm a black guy, bald head, bald head. And so I got ahead of the curve. I got my little yellow uh, wraps, and I had my little microphone like this. And <laughs> I started I started promoting in Valpac uh, fitness kickbox. I call it Lloyd Irvin's Kicking Fit. And at the same time I started promoting the Lloyd Irvin's Kicking Fit, the Billy Blanks infomercial started hitting. And then, listen, I went from zero fitness students to almost 500 wow. in a matter of 90 days. And and at that time, I was I was young and dumb and di I didn't believe in contracts. If somebody make you sign a contract, then leave their school. Like, if you don't want to train with us, you don't have to train. No contracts. You know, that's how we did it. And, of course, I had 500 women. I thought I was rich. I thought I had made it. So I went and got a 5,000-square-foot facility. I thought, like I said, I really thought I was rich. I thought I had made it. But then, quickly, once women have their New Year's resolution, what happens in 30, 60, 90 days? 90 days, 120 days out, 89% of them quit. And they weren't on a contract. So the, the money that I had to be able to make this new move was gone. And now I have this rent that's hitting me 5000 plus a month and it's adding up. I'm 30 days behind. I'm 60 days behind. I'm nine days behind. I'm like, man, and I don't know what to do. And I went to college. My, my degree was in business administration with a concentration in marketing. But they that college degree didn't teach me anything when it came to running a real business. And when, it, when I, I got a pink slip from the landlord saying, if you, if you don't come up with the money in the next 30 days, um, you're out, and I got an email. I'll never forget. I got an email, and it said, "If would you like to earn an additional $100,000 in the next 12 months with your martial arts school? So, of course, my question, my answer was yes. And so, it was, long story short, it was the email. They were selling a $297 course. I, I borrowed money from my mom. I got the course. I started applying the course. I started learning. I started implementing it. And within, within the first 30 to 45 days, I had turned the school around and was able to pay the rent. And after that, I was like, whoa. That was serious because I, at the time, I, you know, I've been reading Think and Grow Rich for probably 10 years. Didn't really fully understand it. But one thing I remember and Think and Grow Richard talks about um, specialized knowledge. So they had 13 of the uh, most successful people. I mean, sorry, 13 principles of the world's richest and most successful people. And one of the principles was specialized knowledge. And I'm not sure what, on my book, it was like page 74. It says, specialized knowledge is not the type of knowledge you gain from traditional universities and or colleges. And so all this started making sense for me. It was like, you know, I went to college. It took me seven years to get out of college. I had a great time. But... I got out of college, and after seven years with a degree, I don't know how to generate students. I don't know anything about business that could save me, but a $297 course I purchased online from somebody I don't know saved me. So then I dug deep, and I started trying to gain specialized knowledge, direct response marketing. Then I got involved in internet marketing, and, and, and like I said, it, it just went from there. So when you were doing the Lloyd Irvin Kick and Fit, were you still running jujitsu classes, or was it mostly uh, like a fitness center at that point? No, it was it was it was jujitsu was at night, but the yeah. Kick and Fit was so big that five to five to six and six to seven and seven to eight were all Kick and Fit. And then as I filled out the classes in the smaller in the smaller facility, I would have to push the jujitsu back even further. And so, like, we had got to a point where people were start. We started just at nine o'clock at night, and I lost some people, but I was trying to stay afloat. And so then I moved to the bigger facility, which we had bigger mats and bigger floors, so I could I could get back to the regular class. But we, I've never, I've always had the jujitsu. It was just that we, at that point with the kicking fit, I put it at the very end. So we had the morning classes for jujitsu. Then the kicking fit was really big at night, and then I had jujitsu at the end of the night. And remember, I was young, twenty. I was twenty six years old. Yeah, and so staying at the academy twelve one o'clock in the morning was not even a thing. I didn't, you know, I wasn't married, didn't have any kids, so it was like all day every day. So you took this online course. At at what point did uh, you start to turn the corner to be primarily a, a jujitsu academy? I would say primarily we were a jujitsu academy 
the entire time. I see. Okay. Even now, I said we have a we have a, we have a summer camp, kids summer camp. We have a big yeah. kids um, after school program. We we always have like fitness programs. So we've always had that. And but we've always done just. But the funny story is this: we used to go to these tournaments, and our students would get their ass kicked so bad at these tournaments. Um, by Yamazaki because Yamazaki like the, like they were they were the Brazilian black belts and you know everyone wanted to go there and it was like a craze so I was like this little black guy blue belt six months in training so we go to the tournaments and we get our ass kicked like so bad so bad that I stopped training in gi because I didn't know enough and we were getting mollywopped in gi <laughs> and so we had guys doing it we were doing MMA I was fighting MMA uh, I was still actually fighting MMA at this time so I did what some a lot of people do is what. I went, oh, we're a no-gi school. So I went no-gi, and then it bothered me for a while because, you know, I'm seeing, you know, Hoist Gracie, they have a gi. I started seeing the tradition with the gi, and my instructor said, man, you got to train in the gi. I was like, man, but I was, I didn't want to train in the gi because we were getting our ass kicked, and our students, my students were getting ass kicked, and by people doing stuff. So then I just made a decision one day, probably in 90, this was 98-ish. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go out and take our ass whoopings, and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, figure it, figure it out, and we're gonna come back and beat them. So that's what we did. And so, like Frank Cucci and Yamazaki had the strongest teams at that time. Frank Cucci was in Virginia Beach, and Yamazaki was in Rockville. And we, I, we, we went and took our took our beatings like a man. And then I never forget the first tournament. We we won the tournament, and we started coming around the corner. Our blue belt started winning, but it was all about this transitional attacks and then once you start seeing one once one student has some success and people see it and then the belief system starts going up then it's easier for the next crop and now once the belief system comes up everyone can start okay you know we can do this because it's different if you're going back going to tournaments you're losing 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 it starts mm. beating down the morale and once we start turning that morale around in the next six to twelve months we never look back ever and that was like 20 plus years ago at what point uh did your uh competition team really start getting elite like sort of turn the corner where you guys were winning like not even just being the best in maryland but you guys started going and winning big stuff like in the ibjjf that would have to be like in the 2000s ish because like 989 no 99 and 89, 98 99 and 2000 it was a lot of grappler quest and naga events yeah and we were doing those events and then in 2000, uh, I can't remember the exact year, but it was it was like uh, Mike Fowler. Mike Fowler was around. Yeah. Mike Fowler came, and he he had, he sat down. He was training at a school in Virginia. He was coming with us. He said, "I want to train here. I want to train here." And we sat down, and he um, wanted to move here, so he he was like the first person in our fighter house. But the fighter house was with me. He he lived with me, and I put all my time and energy and effort into him, and then using him as like a springboard to show improve that the system that we're, what we're doing is because i was here battling we have we had black belts from brazil in our area i'm a black guy blue belt um no instructor and so it was it was, it was a battle for students you know if you're if you're looking for a, a school it's it, it feels better to go train for a brazilian black belt from brazil than a guy from local guy from pg county Absolutely. so i was battling with that so uh once we get a guy like i said if you prove that you, people want to be winners, so Mike Fowler started winning, and I, at that time, like I said, I had full, I was full blown marketer. I, I was, I was a shameless self promoter. I was hating the forums and the uh, internet forums and uh, stuff, discussion groups, and but I didn't care. I was going to market what I'm doing to get my name out there and get what we're doing out there. And then from there, it started snowballing, started snowballing, started snowballing, and more people came up. And then this, you know, the last 15, 20 years has been great. Yeah, you started having people move in from out of town uh, to train with you, right? Yes. People writing letters, writing autobiographies, like sending parents, send, send me a message trying to, to move. It was cool. How did you decide to make the fighter house? Well, once my UFC aspirations went away, um, I made a decision that I wanted to focus on helping anybody and everybody else that to achieve their goal, if their goal was like trying to get to the UFC or if their goal was to get good in jujitsu, because I said, man, like I started, I started jujitsu at 26. I got my black belt. I was 30, and I, I, I can only like right now, I can only imagine what level I could have been at had I been a student, had an opportunity to be a student from the start, all and learn the systems and learn the things. And some people tell me this. They said some. 
that may not have been the best thing for you because if you had been with a certain instructor, not, not saying my instructor, but certain instructors, you know, they hold people back. Like, you can't do leg locks. You can't do this. No hills. Don't reap. Don't do this and that. Whereas me, I, I was never limited by anything. Yeah. I had, I could do whatever I wanted to do and work on whatever I wanted to work on, whether it was right or wrong. So I, I was never limited by anything. But for the fighter house, it was it was about like and I came, like I said, came from football. So college, we are all on campus. The football team is in the dorms and we're practicing film studying, everything. We're doing the same thing together, together and building that culture. And so I wanted to I said if I if I could if I had the power to ever help people, I'm gonna do it. And so following the direct response principles, following the principles of, you know, the law of attraction, I said, you know what, I'm going to get I'm gonna get a house and let people stay in the house. And at first, like I said, it started with me. And Mike Fowler lived with me and a few other people started living with me and Mike Mastodani lived with me. And we're showing, then when I got when I got engaged, I got, a, got married, you know, they had to leave and get their own spot. But then I wanted to get, keep that together. So I got, a, I started getting, I was in doing real estate investing so i had some houses so i started putting people in that those houses and like i said it the the concept works no ifs ands or buts whether it's 20 years from now or it's amazing how it worked yeah and i mean uh what you guys are doing there is obviously working well because i mean you've gone through different generations it hasn't just been like okay these guys were good like these guys were good and then other guys and then now you have like homegrown guys like jamil and uh killing it and malachi and those guys I want to talk a little bit about sort of your philosophy for training. Like, first off, do you guys drill a lot there? Yes, we heavily drillers. Like, I, I hear people talking about like drilling is not a thing. Like, it's a thing, and we proved it was a thing. So, like, the results don't lie. Yeah. What do you? How do you guys like to do? Do you like drill for reps or for time? Like, how do you like to do it? So it, it depends. So, like, like conceptually, we have like four phases throughout the year leading up to the world, and so depending on what phase we're in. So there are certain phases where we're trying to add new techniques that may not kick in for 12, 24, 36 months, but we need to start putting the base of the concept and the movements, um, skill sets in there. Um, but then we have techniques that you have your A game, your B game. You have A game techniques and your B game game techniques that you're trying to get over to the A game. You have C game techniques that you're trying to get over into the um, B game to move up to the A game. So it depends on what what phase we're in will determine what uh, how we're drilling. But in a phase that we're not really like going into worlds that we're just we're trying to get reps and get the movements on both sides. Um, you know, is is usually time is time, but count so we say you're we we'll go 20 20 to left side 20 right side 20 left 20 right 20 left 20 right and we we'll go over and over and over again the 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 minimum count is once you get a rep a drill to 2500 reps yeah. at that point you should be able to have some success at mid-tier level tournaments to upper tier not elite level competitors but once you hit 5000 reps um you should start 3,000 to 5,000 reps. You should definitely start seeing results against, you know, even elite people. And then, like I said, for for a person who's been doing repping in the system for a long time, you're four years in, 10 years in, you have literally the amount of reps a person may have that's been training 20 years. And they don't even have that many reps for that particular technique. Yeah, uh, I did these uh, videos of the guy, these uh, Daisy Fresh guys, the Pedigo guys from Illinois. They live in that laundromat. Yep. They, they they credit you. They 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 do this ten thousand rep thing. They do try and do ten thousand reps yep. of a move in a month, and they they credit you with where they where they pick that that up from. So I knew you guys were big on drilling. Yeah, he he used to write me all the time and answer his questions like, yeah, "I love what he's doing over there." Yeah, he used to. Write, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, do you guys do a lot of positional sparring or stuff like that? Like, how do you work out your sparring? So we have regular free sparring, then we have positional sparring. But we, like I said, so it's it depends on the phase. So for for example, um, if we're in a phase where we're trying, like I, like right now, I give you that. But like right now, currently, the guys that are training, right now we're in a phase where everyone's working and doing positional sparring on their bad side, their bad side. Yeah. Um, and I believe like everyone has a bad side, even if you both sides are good. Usually one side is better than the other. Sure. Um, and there are, few, there are a few people that may be balanced, but we're always trying to balance it out. I am heavily one-sided in a lot of different areas because as I was coming up, I didn't have anyone over top of me saying, no, no, you got to be on the side, you got to be on the side. And it's, a na it's, it's natural when you're in the room battling. Yeah. 
to go to your dominant side and try to work those positions. Whereas now I, I don't want anyone on our team to be able to be in the same situation I am where you have your handicapped on one side or, yeah. or other. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. Uh, when, when you guys started coming up and having all this success, uh, was there any other teams with an American head coach like you that were that were doing that? No, none. Did, it, did, that make, did that make things a little bit difficult? Like, was there sort of an attitude towards your team, you think, because of that? Or how, what was it like for you guys or for you as a coach at that point? The attitude was more so that I was very brazen and loud and in your face. And I'm, I'm doing marketing. I have big red letters. and I, I have full page magazine magazine ads in grappling magazine i'm taking ads out in black belt magazine um, i'm everywhere you know what I'm saying anything anywhere that you can advertise it's me i'm, I'm like a cartoon I have, I have a cape on batman i call myself the grappling renegade like that was you know that's what made a lot of people mad like who does he think he is but like i said we loved it we I, from the very beginning, 20 years ago, I said we're America's jiu-jitsu team. And like I said, a lot of people now are talking about America's, American jiu-jitsu, but we've been doing that. And and it was it was prideful because we're from America, and I, I never take anything away from Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I love Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but we're out here. We have our, our, our own style, our own flair, the way we do things, our processing, um, bringing the sport aspect, the athlete aspect. The like, if if you are, if you want to play for the NBA or you want to play for the NFL, or you want to go to the Olympics. There's a certain level of mental discipline. There's a certain level of focus. There's there's an entire thing that has to be done. And most people that have never played NFL played in the NBA, never coached anybody or been to the Olympics, they don't even know what that level is. And that's one thing that really separates from most because one of my old students, Roddy Ferguson, he, we, were in, we were in an Olympic alternate in 2000, 100 kilo in judo, and we, 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 went, we became an Olympian in 2004. But for that six year, that six year phase, trying to get to the Olympics, I spent so much time at the Olympic Training Center, all the like all the traveling, the the um, the mental stuff, that like getting up, getting up at five a.m., being in the gym at five thirty a.m. for the first workout of the day. Like this is what we did for six plus years, and so when you apply that to an amateur sport, and the people that are in the process get acclimated to that. It puts them in a different level. Same thing too. Like, like a lot of people don't know. It's like Master Donnie is our kids instructor, and Master Donnie, although he doesn't compete a lot, Master Donnie was in the room for those six years with Roddy going for the Olympic thing. And Master Donnie is a beast when it comes to grip fighting. He's an animal pass. Like he, like he's he's a killer. Yeah. But what people don't know, they they didn't see him in that room. They didn't see us in that room. So when he's teaching the kids, what's what's his normality? And what is normal for the kids is not normal if an average person came over from a different school or somewhere else. They would think that it's like crazy, but it's not crazy. It's normal. And for our kids, it's, it's normal. And so I think that has a lot to do with it, the, the, whole, the whole drilling process. There, during the time when we really blew up, there was a, there was a, we practiced three times a day. We had a morning training. We had a midday drilling session. Then we had the night training on top of the strength and conditioning. And you do that consistently over an extended period of time. You, you're going to bound to get results if the system's good. Because in the very beginning, I was just guessing. I'm trying to figure things out. I'm trying to make things happen. And then once we got our world first world title, we got a second world title, we're no longer guessing. It's the same thing, too. Like when like my very first UFC fight was Brandon the Truth Vera. And before Brandon, didn't really know what we were doing. But once we got Brandon to the UFC, and then he started becoming a, he became a star. Then he attracted like Phil Davis and Dominic Cruz, and we won a UFC world title. And then we know how to how it what it takes to train for a five round UFC title fight. So now we're no longer guessing. And now when we get people to come into this program and buy into the program that has proven results, it's, it's uh it's nothing nothing but good things happen. Yeah, you you brought up uh, Master Donnie there. He's somebody who's really intriguing to me. He's sort of a, a behind-the-scenes sort of guy. Like, you talk with a lot of the guys who came from the kids' program there. They really look up to him. And uh, I'd like to get into your kids' program a little bit because 
something yep. that's really impressive. There's a lot of good jujitsu teams, but there's not really anybody besides you guys who's producing people all the way from the kids level to like a black belt world champion like Jamil or even being a high level black belt. Like even like I used to coach kids. You go to kids pans. You got some really good kids teams, but then they're not really producing people in an adult. And then there's an adult. There's some really good adult teams, but they didn't have those guys when they were kids. You guys are the only ones. Like when I go to kids' pants, Lloyd Irvin's really deep there. And it's the same. You guys are really good at the kids and at the adult level. What are you guys doing with the kids' program that is so successful? And not only that, but that you're not only good at the kids' level, but you're keeping them all the way through to black belt, and they're successful there too. One of the biggest things is that we don't focus on competition. And when you first come, when, all, when our, kid, our kids' program, they first learn Muay Thai. They come in, it's all striking. We don't come in and just jiu-jitsu. You have to get onto the combat goal of the Black Belt Club to be able to even grapple. And then once you get on the Black Belt Club, you, uh, Saturday opens up for you, so you grapple once a week. And then when you go to the competition team, you get twice a week, and then you grow, you'll grow from that. But our program is so much more than just jujitsu. Um, when it comes to Macedonia, Mas listen, Macedonia, the God sent for me because, like I said, he he's been he came to me as a white belt. He's he's white, blue, purple, brown, black, uh, homegrown. I, I'm proud when I say homegrown because there's no, nothing from the outside. He's been in the room and everything he's uh, everything from the jujitsu came from us on our floor. And but he's passionate. I'm passionate. Every everyone, if you find anybody who has any level of success, they are passionate about whatever it is they're passionate about. And Mastodon is so passionate about the kids program. I mean, like, like on Friday nights, he's, he's having teen nights on, he's having sleepovers. He's doing it, you know, like he spends a lot of time mentoring. And I, what I, what I've seen over the last 20 years, I've seen a bunch of killer kids. I mean, killers, eight year old killers, nine year old killers. And by 15 years old, they're gone. Yeah. You hear stories about they, they had fallen out with their father or whoever the person that was pushing them was. Um, we don't have that problem. Our, our program is not about winning, 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 like people try to say it is. It's not about winning, winning, winning. The winning is just a product of the system that they're in. But outside of that system, we're having fun. We're having sleepovers. Like right now, on the kids' side, every kid that comes through the program, that stays in the program, they end up being like best friends. Like these people are going to be best men, best women in each other's weddings. Like, yeah. they, really, like they, they don't hang out with each other just at the tournaments. They hang out with each other for real. And so that growing that culture. Now, let's, let's – be clear. In the beginning, there's some things you can do wrong and think, and you see why kids quit, and you talk to the parents, and you see, oh, this and this and that, and so you so you make adjustments. Something went wrong here, then you make adjustments. So then you keep on trying to perfect it, and then it gets to a point that as the kids are seeing the adults and the adults seeing the kids, the kids have aspirations. Like, it's not, oh, I want to be a black belt. It's, oh, I want to be a black belt world champion, and oh, Muhammad won Black Belt World. Oh, Jamil won Black Belt Oh, it's possible right here on this floor in Camp Springs. And so now that belief system opens up and you have the kids that come in. And, and don't get me wrong, we are highly competitive because when you're competing, you have to learn, but you have to take your – but it's not about winning and losing in the beginning. Um, and they have lots of fun games and so forth. And like I said, um, Mastodon is very passionate. He like he, he's, since, he's been, since I put him as a kids instructor – He's been as passionate as he is right now from the very beginning. So 15, 20 years of straight passion, giving, caring, and that matters. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and it really shows you guys with with how, how good your team does and how, how tight they stay. Just like you said, like these people are really tight with each other. It's not like uh, other teams, you know, like you see that they really care for each other. How did uh, – how did you end up getting the connection to get – I mean, I, I know you're hooked up with Gigo. How did you all of a sudden start getting these uh, high-level Brazilians come with you guys? Because I remember all of a sudden, it seemed like overnight, I saw like it was like you had like Ali and Herberth and Gobi all just killing guys at like purple and brown belt. And I was like, man, where is Lloyd finding all these giant Brazilian dudes from? They're just, just wrecking people. And then obviously you know, now you guys got Mayram coming through. Uh, how did you end up forming that connection with Gigo and with these guys in Brazil? So it's funny. So let me tell you a story because I, I always see and read what people are saying, what they're thinking, and I like is laughing. How like where, where did this come from? But here's here's what happened. 
Keenan, JT, DJ, all the guys are out here winning world titles. They're killing it. Yeah. Herber sends me a message and says, hi, my name's Herber. And I understand that. I get these type messages all the time. I mean, yeah. like, it's like just flooding. He sent me this message and said who he was and said what his dreams were. And he wanted to be world champion. He said he had never won a world title before. And he sees what we're doing. And he would love for, for the opportunity to come. And I didn't know him. I didn't know who he was. I knew he was at Giggles. And understand this, Gigo and my instructor, Leo Dollar, came up together in the kids program under George Pereira. Okay. So they went through, they went through yellow belt and orange belt and green belt and blue, purple, brown and black. So that's how I know uh, Gigo because when I started going to travel to Brazil to train, Gigo was in the room. Gigo, Tata, they weren't they didn't have schools at the time. Um, so that's how we know Gigo. But when Herbert said he was at Gigo, I was like, yeah, I he just kept writing me over and over and over and over, and and I had a gut feeling. It's the same it's, it's the same way. When Keenan's dad messaged me and, and Keenan was writing me and um, Andres, Andres, like, vouching for him, they had never won nothing. Yeah. I, I, I say I, I have a good gut feeling. And I had a gut feeling about Keenan. I had a gut feeling about Herbert. So I said, all right, cool. I let him come. He started training with us. And then um, he brought Gobi. Him and Gobi were friends. And then he had uh, – he won. He ended up winning, right? Yeah. Uh, that was his first world title. He was killing everything. Uh I met Muhammad at a tournament, and I, you know, spoke to him about the blood. You know, just watching him, and then Muhammad wrote me saying he was interested in coming uh, because you know he saw what Herbert and them were doing, so he wanted to come. And then, uh, but he didn't come right away. And then he lost to uh, Nicholas at the Abu Dhabi World Pro, yep. and he sent me sent me this message saying he's tired of it, he wants to come, he needs a change. And I said, all right, if you want to come, cool. And like Herbert and them say he's cool. I said, all right, cool. So he came. So that's how. So I had I had the, the guys who had never won nothing from Brazil, and they put them into the system, and the system got the results that they saw other people getting, and we got it for them. And so I'm very happy with that. Like I said, I love Herbert and uh, Muhammad and Gobi, all of them. Yeah, uh, somebody I'm really excited to see at Black Belt, we just talked about this before we went on air, is uh, Mayram just got his, his Black Belt. One of the most exciting jiu-jitsu competitors I've ever seen. What yes. Do you, uh, and I, I, that division needs some fresh, new life because Cicero Costa is like six of the top ten guys. You need somebody else else in there. What do you think it's going to be like for Mayram at Black Belt? He's an animal. Yeah. It's like, you know, at Black Belt, at the elite Black Belt, they're all animals, yep. you know, and so he has to go out there and go through his trials and tribulations, but Mayhem can beat anybody on any given day, but like I said, everyone at the elite level in his division are killers, so one mistake, one mistake, it's funny, I think at one of y'all tournaments, um, May did a, a match, and they got a guy called him like a flying triangle That's a, early on. One. Yeah, I think he got his yeah. arm broke, but still won the match, yeah. Yeah. Afterward, afterwards, he sent me a message. He said, I'm so embarrassed, Master. He said, my arm is broken, but I did not lose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that's how he is. But like I said, I look forward to seeing him um, go out there and compete. Like I said, he's an animal. When he first started coming um, here, he, he was a blue belt, and he got on the floor working with Jamil. He loved Jamil. He, oh, he says, every time Jamil does something crazy to him, he just looks at me you know, and Dying and just laughs. Um, but he's coming up. So I, I, I'm very excited about the group of black belts that we're going to have in the in the pit on Sundays. Yeah, yeah, he showed a lot of heart in that match. Uh, I remember when he came up to, you know, get his, his little pay at the end, he had uh, his, like, arm, like, in a like, makeshift sling. He had his arm, he, he couldn't use it anymore. But, he, yeah, he sucked it up and won the match, for sure. That guy's going to be exciting. Uh, yeah. Something that had to have been a big day for you was the day that uh, you had won some Nogi uh, world titles as a team uh, at Black Belt Adult, but the day that Jamil and Ali, you had never had a Black Belt adult gi world champion going into that day correct correct and then you got two of them on the same day what was that day like for you what was the experience like i made a post i said it was the uh, probably the best day my, my best day of jujitsu in my entire life because we you know once we got the purple belt i mean blue belt world time we got the purple belt world time they got the brown belt world time we got double gold and grand slams the purple and brown and then this black belt was like this black belt and JT was the guy that we're putting all the time and energy into to get this Bible world title. And 
the first couple of years, I think we got bronze. We got bronze the first year. Um, then we lost to Gilbert. We put out um, the second year, and then that you know, the people, oh, you, you can't do it. He'll have to go to a Brazilian team to do it to win, blah blah blah. So we're going through all that, and me being competitive, like we're, we're sitting down with Macedonia, we're sitting down with the guys and team, and like strategizing what we need to do, what this, all these different things that need to happen, and we're just working. And then oh, when JT left, um, then it was like, oh. So because because to get a person to black belt and then get them to black belt and have a chance to win worlds, I mean that's a, a amazing feat yeah. in itself. If, if you think about this, all the Brazilians that have been in America for twenty plus years, twenty plus years, none of them have ever created a homegrown world champion ever. And we had like Lovato who came with what went to Solo at black belt, um, but we're talking about like to to do what we're trying to do was crazy but things started flowing Muhammad was winning uh Jamil was winning and we said all right they're they're the ones but we would have to wait the time they have to go through the purple they have to go through the blue brown they have to go through the black and then we get the black we have to go through it and it's funny because I always talk about um that first year Jamil was in the black belt I told everyone I was posting everywhere that yeah. he's gonna win he's yeah, gonna win he's gonna win and um, that Cabrillo match. <laughs> that was a rough one. Oh my one. god! Yeah, because listen, right now, Jamil still hasn't shown in competition what he does in the room, and when and when that happens, it's gonna be like half a time out there. Yeah, it's like uh, I had been watching Jamil because uh, not a lot of people watch the color belts, but he he's a guy. He won blue, purple, and brown belt. When somebody does that, you, you no, need, not, not not blue, not blue. Want, okay, he won purple thing, purple and purple brown. Okay, when somebody does that, you know you got somebody special. And I remember he came up that first year, and at Pans he beat somebody, he beat Gianni or somebody good, and but he got DQ'd in the semis, right? And then yes, and I then think so, yeah. and then going into Worlds. Uh, I was really looking for him, and yeah, I rewatched that match recently, and I think there was probably some advantages that got left out there. He lost. Uh, was it a ref's decision? I think I think it was advantage or something. Okay. I mean, like yeah. so many people, so many like even, even the referees come up and apologize and say I'm sorry. It's a, it was horrible. And then, so how did it feel for you the next year when he goes out and get that that world title? It was amazing, but the, it it was it was it was different with Jamil. Because I expected him to win. Yeah. Like we 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 went to the world. Like this year we're going to get our world title, black belt world title, finally. So when he won, I mean when he made the finals and we were you know getting ready, I was nervous, but I was nervous of excitement. Yeah. For us to finally mark that that accomplishment off. Yeah. And so when he won, it was like it was excited, but I knew it with Muhammad. I knew he could win, but his ankle was damn near broken. Yeah. And I didn't know how it was going to be with his ankle like that, you know, for the for the semifinals and finals. But he he locked in and zoned, zoned in, and uh, he got it done. So it, it, it was amazing. Like, I, I cried. Like, I hadn't cried since my mom died. Before that, I can't even remember. But I was it was it was tears of, of happiness and joy. And on top of that, tears for Muhammad because you understand – like out here, it's a doggy dog world. People are trying to steal students, and people are always trying to bribe them. People, oh, you need to come over here. If you come over here, you can do it. Like so, so there's so many people just trying to steal Muhammad, telling me he couldn't win black belt worlds, he couldn't win a world title with us. Yeah. Um, we don't know what we're doing, or we couldn't do it. Blah blah blah. And like I said, Muhammad stuck with us, and we got that world title. So it was like, whew, like a like a dark cloud, just a thousand pounds just went away. Yeah, it was a. Uh... That was a, a great tournament for Muhammad because uh, going into it, everybody thought it was going to be Marigali versus Low, right? It was like, all right. Uh, everybody. Every, Marigali's a super heavy. Low chased him up there. Everybody's thinking it's going to be the showdown between those two. And then Muhammad goes out and beats them both. And something interesting that he told me was that uh, earlier that year, uh, v Victor Honorio had beat Marigali in the, in the absolute at Brasileiro. And he told me that you guys had went back and studied the way that Victor passed his guard, and that he actually used that to to pass Marigali's guard at Worlds. Yeah, it, it comes back to what I was saying about film study. Yeah, um, 
the match the match with Honorio just happened like forty five thirty to forty five days uh, before that before the world. So I, he, I, the problem that I saw, I knew he couldn't fix that fast. He probably didn't probably didn't even think it was a problem because he's still killing everybody. Mm-hmm. So for the next thirty five forty days. That's all we're working over and over, this hand switching and, and gripping and leg control over and over and over and over and over and over. Um, and one thing about Nicholas, like he gets like emotional, like he's super hype, super hype like that. And people like that, you always want to try to frustrate them and slow them down. And, and the plan worked flawlessly. Like and, and when he when he beat him, I was more I was more happy about that match than the um, finals kind of because um, it worked. I, I love it when a plan comes together. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be great for you as a coach to have something you guys worked on like that. And it go, I mean, not even not even just for a plan to come together, but to, for it to come together against somebody like Marigali, somebody who's like you know going to be one of the all time greats when it's all said and done. For the, to game plan and then go out there and, and have it work at the World Semifinals has got to be beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so uh, something I think people would be really interested in hearing you talk about because something a lot of athletes have trouble with is marketing themselves. Like a, a lot of guys, they think like, oh, I'm just going to go out and win and that's enough. And then they, they like I've had the best in the world on my show before and like the great all time greats and something a recurring theme that they say about their career is like they thought things were going to change when they won that black belt world title and it didn't. The next day, everything was still the same. And a lot of guys don't realize that uh, you got to go out there and market yourself. You can't just go out there and win and expect everyone to care about you because there's a lot of people out there winning. So what what uh advice would you give to young athletes coming up about ways to market themselves to, to get people to care about them really? So first of all, I would go to think and grow rich back to the specialized knowledge that I spoke about earlier. They have to learn the specialized knowledge. What's the specialized knowledge? Direct response marketing, online marketing, internet marketing, uh, sales. They have to learn these because you can't market yourself if you don't know how to market. Yeah. You can't sell a product if you don't know how to sell a product. And so most people don't want to do that. So like with a fighter house, one of the things I used to force the guys to learn marketing. And they they listen, when I say they hated it, they hated it. Because understand this, when you're young and you and you're competing, you just want to compete. You don't want to learn this stuff. You don't because you don't understand that there's gonna be a point that you're gonna need money. You're young, you maybe live with your parents, you know, maybe a different situation, you may have a good sponsorship opportunity, whatever it may be, but I'm always telling people, you have to be able to take care of yourself and provide for yourself. So, like, I used to have everyone study marketing. I'd make them read the books. I would do a lot of internet marketing events. I would make all the guys from the house go to my internet marketing events, put them up in a hotel with me. They they would work the events so they can see and they can hear and they can listen. They can see people. They can see 300 people in a room from all around the world. And they're like, wow, you know, just to put it in their mind um, how to how to create products. My number one thing, and I'll tell you this. I've always said, I said it for 20 years to everyone just so they would listen to me. Everyone should create their own product, no matter if you're blue, purple, brown, black, I don't care what you are, and you need to create your own brand. Well, the thing is, how do you do that? Most people don't know even where to go. They're not will. They're not willing to invest in themselves, or invest in courses, or invest in a coach or a mentor that will help them learn how to do it. They'll they'll invest in a jiu-jitsu coach to teach them how to jiu-jitsu, but won't invest in a, a marketing coach to teach them how to market themselves. But they have to do that because what happens is, I, my thing is this: learn how to sponsor yourself. People are, hey, sponsor me, sponsor me, sponsor me, and you're not even giving the actual business a reason to sponsor you. Uh, a business wants to create a positive ROI on anything they invest. If I give you five hundred dollars a month to go do jiu-jitsu. How much money am I making? What's my t- return on investment on that 500, yeah. right? And most people aren't thinking about it from that, that avenue. So my, my thing is this, spon- learn how to sponsor yourself. Actually, it's a funny thing because I just made a decision about a week ago. I'm going to give away one of my $2,000 internet marketing courses online. I'm, I'm going to just run ads, trying to help people, and I'm going to give it to them for free. Um, it's a four-day event, 60-plus hours of instruction, and – and they'll see me talking about the grappling blueprint and what I did, my whole concept, how I, br- how I brought myself up, how I created my brand, everything. And anyone can do it because either either you, you are creating your own product and making all the money or you're creating a product under a 
company, which we call the publishing model, like another a company, and they're publishing you. So they give you a little bit of money, and you create your product. They got the content, and we, we do some whatever the split is. Or you don't have a product at all because you're scared. You don't know how to do it. Uh, you don't think you're worthy. You're scared to get on video. You don't know how to speak. Um, there's so many different factors. Lower belts, purple belts. There's some purple belts right now who are killers in barambolo, killers in triangles, killer in arm bars. And there's white belts and blue belts that are looking up to them and excited about what they're doing. And, if, and they'll understand that if they created a barambolo video, uh, online course, and charge $47. Every every hundred people that buy it, that's forty seven hundred dollars. And y'all doing a good job. Y'all y'all are promoting these blue belts and these purple belts. So they're they're getting they have free promotion from fighting on y'all events and yeah. getting the uh, media attention. So people already know who they are. So they they have all these white belts that are looking up to them. And their purple belts not understand that people are looking up to them because they're looking up to the black belts, but they don't understand that people will buy their thing. Yeah. But then the last the last problem that may happen is you have a low self-esteem instructor that may not want you as a purple belt to create your own product. Product like who who do you think you are? So if you run you run into that problem, then it's kind of hard to beat that because if if they don't want you to create a product or they can cause problems for you or kick you out of the school if you create a product, that's a whole different thing. But I've always told people to monetize themselves, create products. I did it for I did it for all my guys back in the day. They didn't want to do it, so I did it for my own guys. But I always ta- taught them how to how to do it themselves. Same thing with Keenan. Keenan knows how to do it. Keenan's been to all my events. Yeah. He went through all the trainings and so forth. And I helped him uh, create his stuff. I'm helping anybody. Anybody. Muhammad's getting ready to blow up and do his thing. He's doing it in Brazil. Now he's getting ready to go into the American market. But anybody, man, everyone needs to do it. Yeah, so you just brought up a couple of great points. A couple of your students that went on to be very good at it. Uh, people uh, who don't speak Portuguese may not be as familiar, but Muhammad's doing very well on YouTube. He's uh, been very successful on there, and he's selling products and stuff now, and he speaks great English. He can do the same thing in English. Uh, And Keenan. Keenan's one of the best marketers in the game right now. He's really good at pushing his product. Keenan is very smart because he will always he's always ask questions. He's always, like, and not only is he asking questions, he gets the answer, then he actually implements it. Yeah. And and so, understand the game, you know, but, like, it, it, it's smart, like I said. Now, now he's he's basically doing taking my model and doing it there. You know, building a fighter house, getting guys to come over and teach them how to do marketing. It's the same exact thing I put him through, and that's what should be happening because people, like I said, I love jujitsu, and people in jujitsu should be able to feed their families. And you can feed. Listen, you can feed your family. You can feed yourself. It, even like, like, let's go back to the little blue belt or purple belt. Listen, with a thirty-seven dollar or forty-seven dollar product. They can make more money uh, with that one product than they'll ever get from sponsors. Like, if you get sponsorship money, it's great. But think about this: during the pandemic, what do you think happened? Sponsors stopped paying these guys because the, they, they're not selling any product. I mean, people don't have, I mean, unless they're super rich people. You know, there's some people out here that got a lot of money and they're not gonna run out of money ever. They may just like the person and help give them money. But that's like charity. You don't you don't want to get charity. You want to be able to, to do it yourself. You know, be self-made and uh, create your own income yeah i mean like you talk about with sponsors uh a lot of people don't really realize how it is a lot of big name guys for their sponsorship are just getting like some geese and t-shirts right like you're not you're not getting income off listen elite level black belts yeah and i'm saying a lot of companies just got mad at me about 15 years ago i I had a marketing campaign that said listen i I said dude i'll basically tell people don't take sponsorship deals for t-shirts and product yeah create your own product and buy the geese that you want or create your own gi. Like, like no, like never. Like I've, I've been saying for 15, 20 years, there's not one person that went out and created their own gi and made their own brand. You, you let some people outside people that with a business mind create their own gis, and now you're you're wearing their stuff. Why don't you sponsor people? Get your own gi. Like we have a guy, uh, Rico Stanton. He has his own yeah, the flash. Uh, brand called. Um, astrology, yeah. gi, astrology. He has a gi, he has shirts, he has lots of stuff. He's starting to build himself, and like he's starting to build his following up, you know. But everyone can, I'm telling you, everyone can do it. Everyone thinks, hey, if you don't have to be a black belt world champion to make a lot of money. Keenan's not a black belt world champion. He make a lot of money. You, 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 you can be a blue belt. You, you can be a black belt and never win a world title in anything ever. And create yeah. a, a, a big brand. Like there's a guy, um, 
that's a uh, black belt under one of my black belt, Sean Hammond named Chew, Chewy. He has a huge uh, YouTube channel. Yep. Um, Muhammad went out there and did some seminars. He has products. He knows he knows how to do marketing. He has his sales pages. I mean, he's found the system, and he's getting good results. He has, like I said, he hasn't won any Geek World titles that I know of. And, and then there's guys who are uh, legit black belt world champions, sometimes multiple times, who the average jiu-jitsu practitioner couldn't pick them out of a lineup. Hurting, broke, and, yeah. and, a, and a lot of them have messaged me for ask for help, and I, I give them the help, but they don't want to help themselves. Yeah, I mean this is the this isn't the NBA. It's not just being one of the best in the world doesn't come with a whole bunch of money. You got to go and get that on your own on the side, right? Yeah. So uh, just got a few minutes left, about five minutes. Uh, there's a uh, you know sort of crazy times out there. It's been a wild few months. Is there any uh, advice you'd like to give to the people watching at home and? Uh, this day and age uh, before we get out of here? 100%. Just stay focused. Like, the things are going to happen. Like, for me, like, I, I had a I had an injury, a neck injury. I broke my neck, and I was out of com- competition for 13 months. I thought it was literally the worst thing ever. I was out for 13 months, came back. I've had six knee surgeries um, here, three months here, six months here. I came back. And uh, this pandemic, I mean, like, people say, oh, this is Three months, like I, I was in a hospital bed uh, with a neuro neurologist telling me I would never walk again. And life as I know it was over. So when you tell me you, you're you're out of competition, you can't compete, you can't, you know, your gym's closed for three months. I mean, come on, get out of here. You know what I'm saying? Like they're gonna open back up. So just stay focused. I understand it's hard. You know, it's um it's hard, but you gotta stay focused. Right now, there's people that are losing their mind during this pandemic, especially like people that are all in for jiu-jitsu because once jiu-jitsu got taken away from them with the pandemic they they lost something like part of their identities for some people you know and they don't know how to deal with it you know like we're talking about mental health issues so you just stay focused stay positive stay engaged and if you listen be laser focused on the goal because for 13 months when i couldn't get on the mat and do anything i was laser focused on what the goal was. I laser focused watching videos. I laser focused on watching the guys. Um, and when I came back, I, I technically I was better because I had drilled so much time in my mind, watched so much video, watched so much film. If you loved jujitsu before the pandemic and you feeling it fading a little bit, like you got to fight that. Talk to your coach. Talk to your instructor. Talk to a teammate. If they're not giving you anything positive, like find somebody because everyone can't help you. Reach out to me, like, man. I, I, listen, I get messages by so many people from different teams all over the world. I'm always trying to help people. Like I said, right now I've accomplished all my goals that I've set in jujitsu. Um, right now I'm trying to get another UFC world title. Um, we had one already, and so I'm like calming down right now. So I, I don't care. I'm not fearful of like teaching somebody or helping somebody. I don't care. Like I'm gonna give away this internet marketing course. I don't care who creates products and who creates things. Oh, one thing I do want to say is this. One of the things, like, I have three tiers. So you have physical, mental, and technical. So physical is how strong you are, your conditioning, your flexibility, and whatever else goes there. Then you have technical, the techniques, the drilling, the transitions, all that that goes in there. And then you have the mental and the mindset. One thing, I wrote wrote a book called The Grappling Game Plan over 20 years ago, and I sold it. I sold it like, you know, almost 18, 18 years ago, I used to sell it, the course, the video and everything like that. And I took it off the market. People thought it was a marketing trick. I took it off the market. I told them I was going to take it to the market. It's been off the market for 17 years. I just put it back on the market um, in October and I'm giving it away for free. All the people have to do is pay shipping and handling. If you're in the, in the United States, it's $9.95. And if, if you're out of the country, it's um, $19.95. I ship it anywhere in the world. He's oh, well, if it's $9.95, it's not free. Well, listen, I have to print the book. I have a shipping house in um, Indiana that ships the pack. They have staff, employees. I have to pay the posters. I have to pay them to actually pack it and ship it. So that's where that goes. I don't want any money from that. Um, yeah. But I, I would say anybody who's interested, like get the book because I t- when I came out with the book originally, I said, listen, this book here is going to be one of the reasons why we're going to win wor- world titles in jiu-jitsu at every belt rank. At that point, I had never even won a world title at blue belt. So now, 20 fast forward, 20, 20 years later, we got blue belt, purple belt, brown belt, black belt world titles at Gi and No Gi, and that book is the same book, so now I'm giving it away for free. So um, right now, 
reading that book, having the book in the pandemic where you can't go train. Even if you can train, the book is amazing, but it's, it's not techniques, technical. It's about mental mindset. Yeah, I'm going to check the grapplinggameplan.com. Grapplinggameplan.com. I'm going to go check this thing out. I'll look into your marketing stuff too cuz I'm uh I'm a white belt when it comes to marketing. I just put out content. I don't know how to how to get people to watch. I mean, a lot of people do watch it, but I'm sure if I uh knew more about marketing it would help a lot. But uh Lloyd, man, it's uh this was a a great conversation. It was great to have you on. I've wanted to pick your brain for a while. I mean, you're so well respected in the community. You've done great stuff with with your team. And, uh, yeah, everybody, if you, uh, this will go out Wednesday, watch the next show Thursday when Mo Jassim comes on with the big ADCC 2021 announcement. A lot of stuff people don't know uh, that he that he lets uh, you guys in on. And also, Fight to Win 145 on Friday night, Third Coast Grappling Kumide number three on Saturday night. It's exciting. We're having multiple jiu-jitsu events every weekend now, which is a lot sooner than I thought it was going to be. Lloyd, thanks for calling in, man. we got to do this again. Thank you. Anytime. All right. Thanks. Take care.